Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Across the state, according to different estimates, between 33 and 45,000 voters have had their ballots invalidated, and many of them don't know it. That's why in November, a lawsuit was filed against the California Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, saying it was unconstitutional and voters had the right to be warned. The 2016 election left us with a lot of questions about what really happened. We had a lot of issues with our software that were reported throughout the local media in the United States. We unfortunately have corporations that are in control of administering the software of our election systems. When you're dealing with election systems related issues, you really don't want a corporation that has profit as its sole motivation to be administering them. We know that these systems are vulnerable because when they get certified, the staff report talks about all of the known vulnerabilities. This information is sitting on the Secretary of State's website right now. And to me, it makes no sense why the Secretary of State would currently certify these systems that are known to be vulnerable to hacking. Alex is a software engineer, and so he should know better. He should know about these vulnerabilities, but he's failed to do anything about it. Instead of concentrating on the most important aspects of his job, what he's been concentrating on is getting great and lucrative contracts for vendors. It's willful ignorance. we had our midterm elections in the United States and it seemed like a really good time to discuss election integrity. This is a topic that affects all of us because it affects Republicans, it affects Democrats, it affects independents. And it seems to me we've seen various um, cases of what is clear voter suppression. We've seen cases of monkey business within the system, whether it's done by the plutocrats in charge or there's some sort of problem with the um, integrity of the voting system itself. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what we have going on here in California, because um, I think some of the issues that we face here in the state are, are sort of a part and parcel to what we're seeing throughout the nation. So in 2016, we passed um, the California Voters' Choice Act, and this was a law that was supposed to remove barriers to voting and increase um, voter turnout. And it basically is a law that um, requires that a ballot is mailed to every registered voter 28 days prior to an election. And the voters can then vote by mail, mail it back, or they can drop off the ballot at a secure uh, drop box, or they could even deliver the ballot on the day of the election if they wish to do that. So what, which is good, right? It sounds like a good thing. Well, what they don't talk about is part of this law uh, basically says that a county, a county official can throw out your ballot if they feel that the signature on the ballot doesn't match the signature that they have on file. So what does that mean? It means if some worker looks at your ballot and they look at your signature, which is what, maybe 20, could be 20 possibly years old or so, and they don't think it matches, they toss your ballot and they don't tell you that they tossed it because you will not be notified of the discrepancy and your vote won't be counted. So that's what the California Elections Code says. It's, um, it's, it's, in my opinion, a form of voter suppression. So now, flash forward, the ACLU has sued the state of California for this, um, Alex Padilla is our current Secretary of State, 
And it's, it has come out that in the 2016 election, uh, what we had, what, 14.6 million votes there in about cast in California. And of those votes, about 33,000 to 45,000 were not counted because a county election official decided that these signatures didn't mass- match and they threw the ballots out and the voters were not informed. So that's what's at the heart of this lawsuit. Adding to the possible problems of this, I feel like it should be noted that the majority of California state votes that are now cast are cast via these mail-in ballots. It's over 50% now. So any integrity that we lose in the vote-by-mail system affects everything markedly. So it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, in, the very, in the very least, the county officials should be notifying these voters of the problem and should be allowing them the opportunity to fix the problem. So Alex Padilla lost the case, and a judge ruled that they had to start informing, informing all of these voters that their ballots were not being validated and they were being thrown out. You think that a state like California that seems to want to fight for leftist ideals, that wants to fight against voter suppression, etc., would say, yes, let's do that. It's the right thing to do. But no, that's not what they did. They have actually appealed the decision. The attorneys that argued the case actually said that the injury to the Californians was slight because it was about 45,000 ballots that were rejected. But I am sorry, Alex Padilla, 45,000 ballots is 45,000 ballots too many. And how do we even know that that is the end or the extent of the mismatch problem? There could be other, it could be worse. And Becerra actually utilized the mother of all right-wing talking points and said that it prevented voter fraud. I kid you not. So here with me to discuss this today, I have Ruben Major as my guest. Ruben is very knowledgeable in this area. He ran for uh, Secretary of State in the primary against Alex Padilla. Unfortunately, he didn't make it pass, but he is absolutely one of the most well-versed individuals on this particular subject. So I wanted him to come on this week and discuss about um, discuss this about California and also some of the other voter problems that we're seeing with the rest of the in without throughout the rest of the country. So first, I wanted to ask you, Ruben, uh, Nancy Pelosi is posed now to become the, new, the Speaker of the House once again, now that we've retaken the House. And she made some comments this morning about uh, being cooperative with the GOP. And uh, I, I have some strong thoughts on this. I think that's a bad idea. I mean, how bad does it have to get before we actually realize we have to fight tooth and nail? You know, I just don't understand how she could be so tone deaf. You know, I could understand, I guess, how, I mean, she lives in a very wealthy district, so I could understand how her constituents probably uh, support her because they get what they want from her, but she shouldn't be the Speaker of the House. She doesn't understand most of the country, and I don't think, you know, when she talks about the day after the election that she's going to cooperate with the GOP when Trump is in power is just a shocking thing to say. It's like, wow, really? How bad does it have to get before you realize we have to fight? I know. I, I don't want to. I don't really want to cooperate with Trump. I mean, she can, but <laughs> I, you know, wow. I, I don't I, I don't know. It. I mean, it's, it's a good question. You know, I guess, you know, you have, I think at the end of the day, you've got to look at who funds both of the parties. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of these people are spokespeople for, um, you know, those companies. Yeah. 
No, you're right. It's money. I mean, Wall Street, the money that went into Prop 10, to defeating Prop 10 was insane. It was all street money. I don't think folks understand, like I kept trying to get the word out, like Essex Property Management, all of these, they're, they're what they call a REIT. So people buy shares yeah. on the stock exchange and they get heavy dividends uh, because most of the money is, it's like a pass-through for real estate at the end of the, um, at the, end of the day. So obviously they have a very large vested interest in not having rent control laws. But I'm just frustrated because even in my district, we have Wendy Carrillo and I went to our town hall and I was so angry because she says she opposed overturning Costa Hawkins. And I'm like, you and I are done, Wendy. You're, you're telling me you're a Bernie crat and you overturn. Really? Whose side are you on? The real estate developers? I don't understand. Really? This. I wasn't. I would, you know, I made my, I made some phone calls, um, you know, just last night, mm-hmm. uh, actually the night before the election to, you know, all the people that supported us in, in the party and, uh, you know, some, some of the electeds and the candidates. But I, what I found was pretty interesting, you know, just looking through, uh, you know, who supported our campaign. And what what's funny is, you know, they, they really are lockstep. So, you know, basically the electeds kind of all tend to vote the same way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I unfortunately, I think that's just like such a solid block yeah. that if you're an outsider, that your chances of you know, getting support from the party are really difficult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately that a lot of the progressives are, and you can't, and not only can you, you know, it's a difficult to get the support, but it's also difficult to get the money that you need to be able to get your name out. Yeah. And then <clears throat> the, um, you know, some of the endorsement processes of the clubs throughout the state are a little bit distracting. So people get kind of distracted in, in the party politics. And right, they spend right. so much time talking to the same people over and over again. That's true. And and then they don't get out there and talk to people. So you know, we try to we try to change things. Um, you know, after the the convention, we were really out there uh, just talking to people and telling them about you know what we need to do. Talk to people at community. I'm telling you, I mean, there were there were hardly any people that disagreed with what we were saying, whether they were Republican or Democrat, it didn't really matter. Right. It was basically like, I went in, I mean, I went into like some heavy Republican territory and just talked to them about, you know, issues. And, and I mean, some of the, <laughs> some of the things that they were saying, I mean, ultra conservative area, uh, Apple Valley. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Apple Valley is very conservative. Um, went in, yeah, yeah, went into that area and actually got some support there, uh, which was interesting. I think a lot of it's just wording, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's at the end of the day, like, I, I think we all really mostly want the same thing, but we just all get distracted from the back and forth. Ruben, so. I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I think this is why progressives can and do and will fare better in a lot of these areas than a neoliberal banker will, because... And the, at the very base, Republicans understand that the neoliberal banksters have harmed them financially. So if we keep siding with these folks and running folks like that, we're not going to win elections because we don't we, we can't make an appeal to the independents, you know, which is the majority of voters in the country at yeah. this point. 
You know what I'm saying? Because those issues, even Medicare for all, I mean, a plurality of Republican voters, not, not, um, I'm not talking about politicians, but a plurality of Republicans now support Medicare for all because they see the benefit of that. They realize that the economic inefficiencies in our system are, are very bad. They realize they're getting lesser care and there's high debt coming out of um, if you're sick, you can't afford to pay it, you might go bankrupt. So all of that stuff is very real for the voters. But you know, the, the, I don't know, the plutonomy in both parties are going <clears> to <throat> hold on to their plutonomy for as long as they can and continue to extract wealth unless um, something changes. I'm just frustrated because I don't see the change happening. I hear the frustration with fellow voters in the state, but at the end of the yeah. day, you look at the election returns and you're like, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I, you know, I think I, I honestly think the have you ever watched it? There's a movie uh, Eddie Murphy did years ago. I I watched it, um, I think, in high school. Mm-hmm. It, it's called The Distinguished Gentleman. A waiter, where's my bourbon sour? Oh, you must think I'm Kareem. I'm Jamal. He stiffed you in your drinks, too. He fired. Kareem, where's this woman's drink? Thomas Jefferson Johnson is no ordinary con man. Take the damn money. Take the watch, please. You know this goes against my every principle. There is only one place for people like him. I want to tell y'all about a town where the streets are paved with gold. You mean Las Vegas? No, not Las Vegas. He's talking about Washington, D.C. I am running for Congress. Now, Thomas Johnson con man (laughs) is Thomas Johnson congressman. Read my lips! We have a new member joining us today, the distinguished gentleman from Florida. Paul Zickhauser, American Tobacco Council. I'm going to be extremely frank with you. That is, if you're interested in fundraising. Well, I'm very flattered, Mr. Chairman. Dick. Well, I'm very flattered, Mr. Dick. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry, Chairman Dick. No, Dick, just Dick. Oh, just Dick, just plain old Dick. You feel that the semi-automatic weapons gotten a bad rap? Really, they're just guns for the ordinary sportsman. Men like a nice warm Uzi. Must have had a heart attack. Hollywood Pictures presents Eddie Murphy. And I think it is wrong when students have to stay up late at night and miss all the good shows, doing homework, then get up early in the morning and go to school. This sort of thing just is not fair. He's going to do to Congress what Congress has been doing to you. I got a sprinkler too now. Back at oh. you. All right, then. The distinguished gentleman. Aren't you going to vote? Is that what that means? You know, all this time I thought that that man was time for final jeopardy or something. So it's about a congressman, well, well it's about a candidate that um, shares the same name as a congressman who just died. I think his name's like uh, Jeff Johnson and, the, the, and Eddie Murphy's name is Thomas Jefferson Johnson, so he sh- shortens it to Jeff Johnson, and then runs off the campaign, the name you know. And so, you know, he doesn't do anything else. He just, you know, he basically runs off of the name. And everybody's like, oh, hey, I'm used to voting for Jeff, so I'm just going to vote for him. And, it, you know, it turns out that he's like this big con man and everything else. And anyways, big long story short, he, he has this change of heart, and, you know, he kind of I guess cleans things up and whatever gets out of there. But 
the funny thing about that is it's actually true to a, a large degree because people hear the same name over and over again. They get familiar with that name um, and they, they vote that way. And for the most part, um, it's, it's very unfortunate that that's what happens, but people are busy doing their thing. You know, they're mm-hmm. taking their kids to school and, and they, you know, they're driving, you know, three hours to work every morning. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, they literally elected like they a in dead LA. guy in Nevada <laughs> last night. I mean, there's a prime example. How do you right. elect a dead guy? <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's funny because uh, we, had, we had that here in our city. You know, um, uh, you know, a dead person gets elected. They were uh, apparently now I don't know 100 percent, but I I heard that they were campaigning for this dead guy because they didn't want the other person to win. So, Mm. um, yeah, because then the party gets to appoint somebody. It's so stupid, though. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So so I think that that's the problem because, you know, that's that's a big part of the problem because it costs a lot of money to get your name recognized by people. Right. And, um, you know, social media can only do so much. The electorate that actually gets out there and votes hasn't caught up to that yet. Well, and yeah, that's the thing. You so can be very popular on social media, and it's not necessarily constituents in your district that are going to vote for you. So you can have 100,000 followers that think you're the best thing yes. ever, but if they're not in your district, it's not helpful. Yeah, I hear that. Right, right. And, and even, you know, I mean, does that translate into – you know, votes, I think it helps a little bit. I just don't know that it's, you know, it's to the degree that you would expect it to be quite yet. So maybe, you know, another 10 years or so, it might change. But right now, you know, we're still dealing with people that aren't on the computer as much or, you know, don't make their voting decisions that way. Right, right. So you mentioned, um, you know, the Caldem convention down in san diego the speech you gave there was really good by the way i don't know if that's online anywhere but it should be yeah yeah <laughs> that's where i first yeah, no, uh, came YouTube. across you oh cool yeah is that yeah, online that was anywhere? Fun. that was no your speech was so oh, it was yeah. so dead to rights on what the problems were and you're so uh, in fact let's talk about that for a second you're you are so knowledgeable in this area and this is information that folks need to have i think i'm um, I think we had a lot of problems that were basically flying under the radar that came out yeah. in the 2016 primary. Um, you know, I had known Deborah Bowen back when she was a state senator. I even have I have a commendation on my wall from her, actually. Um, but I think, oh, cool. she, yeah, she was a good secretary of state. When she de- decertified the system, she had really valid reasons for doing that. And I think um, after she did that, like literally nothing was fixed, nothing happened. And then just years went by. And I was really excited to see you talking about yes. that. Well, you know, um, so you talked about Deborah Bowen. And, and I think, you know, what really we were trying to continue her work. Um, and I know that uh, she had started it and did the study and then you know they didn't really follow up on it um they just kind of and, and what i'm when i'm talking about the study is basically it was we had california the most comprehensive study on voting machines ever done um and techniques and you know what you know how, how could we infiltrate these systems and what are the vulnerabilities and you know so on and so forth and and you know um the, the the report basically says at the very beginning, you know, if if, uh, if we told you exactly how bad this really was, 
then, you know, it would totally undermine your confidence in voting. So uh, they basically just discluded that completely. You know, uh, a lot of the stuff they discluded from the report for that reason. But even the stuff that they did include, you know, is is really just so uh, disturbing. And then to use these systems from these vendors that, you know, are still servicing <laughs> systems that, you know, we've seen across the country just, you know, yesterday, you know, where, wow, they're vote flipping again. Um, you press a button for one candidate, another candidate shows up. A race this close, voters are expected to turn out in record numbers, and early voting is certainly pointing to that trend. Tens of thousands voted this weekend, but as 13 Action News reporter Marissa Keniston explains, some fear they may have voted for the wrong candidate. It's only day three of early voting, and already some people are concerned about what's called vote flipping. It's where a voter selects one candidate on the electronic voting system, but the machine counts the vote for a different candidate. But Clark County election officials say this is simply user error. A voter may accidentally drag their finger across the screen or may be holding the screen with their other hand. Last week, members of the Nevada Election Integrity Task Force spoke out about voter fraud, saying Nevada uses one of the most secure electronic voting systems in the country. We have people who are assigned to specifically work on the voting machines, and they're trained to help them. Uh, make any corrections that they need to make on the machine. Volunteers at this polling place say they do expect to see similar lines to this one while the polling places are open. They also say they're passing out pamphlets like this one that explain both sides to every ballot question. Marissa Kinniston, 13 Action News. Um, you know, and it's almost comical in a way because it's like, you know, they have not repaired these issues. Um, they're using old outdated technology, um, very hackable technology. I mean, look at what what happened in Iran, for example, um, with their nuclear, um, <clears throat> I guess their, their nuclear program, uh, they got hacked. And there was a, uh, you know, there was an air gap, right? What's an air gap? Basically, like, you know, it was the system was not connected to the internet. But some way, somehow, somebody was able to get in there and, you know, basically disable their you know, nuclear program, um, their nuclear reactor, everything without, you know, that system being online. So, you know, if, if you could do that, you know, <laughs> think about what you could do with the voting systems, um, you know, and, and again, we, you know, we don't, we, we're, we don't necessarily have proof that that happened, but it doesn't, you don't need to have proof. You just need to to recognize that that's a risk and that we need to figure out ways to mitigate that risk better. And um, one of the one of the things that I've been, you know, out there recommending is, you know, that we don't use the corporate software to, right. um, uh, you know, oversee our elections. That basically we we own it. We have ownership of the code. So, like, if we know that if there's something wrong, we can actually go in there and look at it. A lot of times, like, we sign non-disclosure agreements away to these mm -hmm. companies so that, when something goes wrong, we don't even know. And I've said that over and over again. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing is, I mean, that's even, I guess, more disturbing is what's happening with our voter registration. That we actually can reference that there's a problem. And so um, we do know that, that those are, um, you know, that we've been experiencing issues with those. Like, we, you know, we definitely had issues with that. Right. Uh, the voter registration rolled in the primary in my election, That's right. uh, which affected um, a lot of my voters. 
you know, that, that were going to vote for me and probably, oh, absolutely. and, you know, weren't able to do so. So, so let me ask you, uh, I'm a little angry. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you a question on that very thing because I had uh, done poll, poll monitoring and I was noticing that a lot of voters were coming in who, and they even had their cards that had been mailed to them with them, but they weren't on the, the rolls. Like their name just wasn't there. And I had the poll worker checking three or four times right. and they, the names literally weren't there. So I finally went back um, actually to Bernie Sanders' office and said, we need to call the Secretary of State. There's something going on. So we called um, Alex Padilla's office, uh, and the gal on the phone put us on hold. Then she came back on and said that they had mistakenly not sent the new voter rolls out to the polling stations that morning. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) So my initial thought to that was Uh. like, well, you know, the Sanders campaign registered a million-plus voters in the state so there, I mean, is this, you know, it, it makes you think like, I mean, I don't mean to go yeah. all conspiracy theory, but it makes you question what the intention of that was, because I really, um, you, you see firsthand that there's all these ways in which you can suppress votes. It doesn't necessarily have to be blatant in your face voter suppression. There's a million things you can do to sort of control the system. You know what I'm saying? And I think um, that you were definitely a part yeah. of that because you were a Bernie crowd. You were, you were part of that movement. Well, you know, we tr- we tried to help uh, the, you know, basically deal with the issues that Sanders had created back in, or that it, excuse me, the issues that happened to Sanders in right. uh, the 2016 election. And um, you know, one of the things that we said was, well, if you've got a problem with the voter registration, uh, then you know, let's let's just close that gap. Let's make it so that you know, if you're a Democrat, for example. Um, you can have, you know, a Democratic ballot if you're an ind- independent, um, well, nationwide they call it independent, but right. here we call it no party preference. Yeah, NPP. So if you're, if you're a no party preference, yes, NPP voter, then why don't we just put all of those people on your ballot that you are eligible to vote for versus just giving you, an, a, you know, a ballot that doesn't have all the candidates on it. And right. that if you wanted to ask for a special Democratic ballot, you have to actually do, you know, do that. <laughs> I mean, because I think Sanders lost, you know, a lot of voters that way. Yeah. And if you didn't that, ask for a crossover you know, ballot, you didn't get was, one. Right, right. And that, that was intentional. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, because the, the solution that, you know, I was proposing, I think, would definitely have mitigated it, made it more fair across the board. You know, and again, like, it, you know, in a nonpartisan manner, not not even advocating for Bernie Sanders, but just close the, the gap, basically, and make it so that, you know, if you wanted to vote for somebody, you, you know, they get put on your ballot and you have an opportunity to do that. And mm-hmm. people get confused when they, you know, they, they look at that. I, I know for a fact people have looked at their ballots in 2016 and, you know, were wondering where their candidates were at. And then they just thought, well, maybe, you know, I guess I'm just not going to go into the polls then. And that's disappointing, um, you know, because, of course, it really unfairly advantages one candidate over the other. And that's not the spirit of our democracy. So I think, right. you know, we could I think we could have done a lot better uh, on that. I think, you know, obviously they could have done a lot better to, you know, basically get the word out to. Um, and you, I'm, I'm sure you're very much so aware of all those uh, yeah. you know, things and. Yeah, it's unfortunate me, because 
Go ahead. Oh, sorry. There's no accountability for that. There's no accountability. That's exactly right. And and I really believe at the end of the day that it's an imperative that we're able to trust the system. If we don't trust the system, then the whole thing falls apart. So um, you campaigned on having open source software, which is one of the things you just mentioned, as opposed to our current yeah. corporate own. And I believe that the software is proprietary. So I've, if I recall, you part of your speech was um, you mentioned that the, the owners, Diebold, whoever it is, uh, they wouldn't, instead of contacting the Secretary of State, that they were actually, there was direct communication between the vendors and the point of problem, which is something that you really don't want to see in a democracy. Um, how often did that happen? Well, there, I think there's constant communication between, the, um, you know, these vendors and, and the politicians. You know, I think that happens all the time. Um mm. I think the uh, I think the other issue is that you know just I mean it's not it's not just about corporate software or not corporate software or whatever mm-hmm. it what it really is and it's not even about open source necessarily it's just about it, it really is about ownership of okay. you know the code it's you know open source is great because you can modify it you can change it you can you know manipulate it Manipulate is a pretty bad word for yeah. for voting, but what it, <laughs> what I mean is, um, you know, basically you can you can modify it to to work for you, right. um, and you don't have to go through a vendor to do it. The, the but the ownership issue is the biggest thing because we don't even own the ability to, or the rights to look at you know what's going on behind the scenes. So like, what mm-hmm. kinds of sneaky things are happening in this code? Like, you know, one of these things, um, uh, at least you know across the country, one of these vendors we found, you know, had remote access, uh, you know, uh, capabilities in their code, so mm-hmm. that you know somebody could remotely access the uh, voting system. You know, and and, and I guess the, the defense was, well, you know, we can at least we can console it later on. We can take a look at it, you know, if there's an error and, you know, practice if you're talking about a standard computer. But why would you build that in to, you know, a program that has to do with voting? So that's disturbing, I think. Um, the other thing I would say, it's not just it's not just the ownership issues, but it's also kind of creating a trail. Like what I, what I was trying to lay out there for people was. We need to create. We need to think of this this as if there is going to be a potential crime committed, um, and you know, and that crime would be, you know, basically changing, changing the votes, or you know, um, you know, basically not doing what the voter wanted to do. And so, what we do is we just create a bunch of like uh, ways for us to see whether or not there was something wrong. And and paper is one way to do that. So if you have you know, paper and not paper that goes into the machine, by the way, like, you know, paper that, you know, we have a copy of that we can go back to that we can just use as a, like a chain of evidence. Um, and then, you know, having cameras and, and, and doing full audits instead of 1% in selected areas. You know, I love, I love this. When you go and you take a look at some of the things that they say, you know, like, uh, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, the, this is uh, uh, going very well because we're auditing. Um, you know, we, we do lots of audits. We have a robust audit program. Well, yeah, but we had how many millions of votes casted? And you're telling me that you only audited 1% in a select 
precinct, which is, you know, what, maybe some thousand something. There's Why about not do 19 million registered voters in the state of California or something like this. I mean, yeah, so we can do better. We can do better. And didn't they also try to exclude the provisional ballots from the audit at one point, um, if I'm not mistaken? I don't know if that went through. Yeah, so there was re- yeah, it did. So there's oh, a, there's a law that basically <laughs> says that registrars don't do not have to uh, include provisional ballots in the audit uh, process. Um, and the the argument has been that you know auditing is for the uh, uh, you know convenience or of the um, registrar. It has nothing to do with you know what it has nothing to do with the auditor or anything like that. Hmm. You know, but but it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too because then, right. like I said, on the flip side, they're using the other argu- argument that you know we have robust audit system. Right. So which one is it? Which one is it? Right. <laughs> so, Ruben, what on earth is going on here? Why um, why do we have a, a set of folk that seem to think that the integrity of our system isn't tantamount to democracy? Because it's uh, I think everybody post Deborah Bowen has sort of jumped on that bandwagon and Alex Padilla I think is being sued by the ACLU right now um, in regards to invalidating some mail-in ballots which is very concerning also yeah. because we should talk about the fact that I think close to 50% of the ballots cast currently in the state of California are now mail-in so this is a big area yeah so he fought to um, his office basically fought to continue that lawsuit um, from the last time I checked uh, which you know I get updates on the case on a regular basis I haven't had a chance here um, in a while you know, okay. a couple of weeks, but I do know that um, the last thing I heard was that, yeah, they're appealing it. And why would you appeal, you know, uh, this, this whole signature issue? Um, I, I, I guess I have, I guess I have a problem with that. I mean, why not just negotiate with the ACLU and say, okay, you know what, what do you guys want? What can we do? You know, we want to make, we want to open up voting for people. Um, it's just kind of strange you know, behavior, I think. So, you know, it's, it's not catching on to everybody, though. Getting the word out to people about what's you know, happening here is, is not, you know, enough to change the narrative. And so I think I think we really need to just be out there talking about it more. I agree. Ruben, I think which people is... lose faith in, in our country, which is, you know, terrible. Because then they say, oh, I don't even know. I won't. I don't want to vote anyways. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. They get so disenfranchised that they don't vote anymore because they think, why bother? And, you know, I think one of the things that we face in California is because we're a quote unquote blue state, that there's this sort of weird team sport mentality. It's that sort of vote blue no matter who thing that goes on. And people stop questioning individuals. And we have some bad eggs in our party. There's no two ways about it. And we should do something to help to hold these folks accountable. And I think Alex Padilla has not been a good secretary of state for many reasons. And why would he fight that? Honestly, uh, you know, my my mom, who is 84, and my niece, who is uh, first time voting in 2016, were both given provisional ballots. And you know, you had to go if you if you if you went into the online system and you checked your number out and they didn't validate your your ballot. Yeah. You they had they wanted you to drive down all the way to um, shoot. What city is that 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 place is located? It's far to sign a thing to match the signatures because some of the signatures that they had on file were quite old. And, you know, people's signatures change. So it just. So <laughs> you you're know what right. I'm saying? You, I mean. 
I I know exactly what you're saying, and, and you know it, you're you're absolutely right, and and that's it. Like so, if it doesn't match, then it doesn't count. And so, you know, when you you brought up provisional ballots, this is an interesting one. So I had um, put a uh, statistic out there that that we found from the Orange County Registrar. They did a report on their voter registration, their voting, and everything else uh, pretty recently, and. Um, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, you've seen a tenfold increase in Orange County in provisional ballots. When you have a provisional ballot, yes. And that just, yeah, that slides right there, right under the radar, right? So we don't even hear about that. That's a report. That is an actual report. I mean, you can go to their website, you take a look, you know, they'll take my word for it. Um, but yeah, ten, <laughs> well, ten, tenfold increase. So if we we have a tenfold increase in uh, provisional ballots, then it's likely that we have a tenfold increase in the number of ballots not counted. And so you know, I guess what I'm gonna what I'm gonna start um, saying really is is that if you know you have a provisional ballot, it's likely your vote's not going to be counted. And and I think that that's an accurate statement. Um, and and unfortunately, you know, these people that are getting provisional ballots are you know tend to be uh, you know, pr- progressively minded people, um, you know, it, uh, usually younger, um, in, in, you know, maybe uh, veterans since the Gulf war, um, you know, just, uh, minorities. I mean, it's really, it's really terrible. There's some disenfranchising aspects in that. And, you know, maybe something that, uh, you know, the ACLU needs to look into, um, or some other organization, you know, that, that can police that a little better. But I think, uh, you know, that, that's problematic, tenfold increase in provisional ballots. What does that mean? So, Ruben, what on earth is going on here? Why is there a tenfold increase in provisional ballots? Why are they handing these things out like candy versus <laughs> what is, what's the motivating? I mean, I understand maybe they're trying to thwart progressives in a, in a sort of, subconscious way but what's the reason they're giving to the voters when they hand them a provisional ballot what's the justification well well what i suspect is occurring is that people are getting thrown off their role the voter rolls and so then they come in to go vote and then when they do that uh they they have to get the provisional ballot and then you know if you are not on the rolls it doesn't matter you you basically your vote's not going to count so if you were not on the voter rolls and you went in to go vote and they gave you a provisional ballot, your vote does not count, period. They don't go and investigate it or anything like that because they they know that, you know, you weren't on the rolls, so it's not like this lengthy investigation. You just weren't on the rolls, so you just, your vote didn't count. We actually had somebody in our campaign who was thrown off the, the voter rolls. Um, uh, when, you, when you take a look at uh, what happened in L.A. County in the last, um, you know, uh, in the primary, it was very interesting this year. Um, you know, they had over a hundred thousand people thrown off the rolls that, that we know of. Um, and, and again, I, I preface that with that we know of, because, you know, I think that, um, the data is showing that, you know, it's likely to be more, um, we've analyzed those voter rolls. We've taken a look at them just to see, you know, if you take, if you take those rolls and you, uh, if you, if you take who you know was, was taken from the rolls and you put it on a uh, a map, um, you can actually see the the areas that were affected 
and it's and that is really disturbing because um, again, uh, socioeconomic class it tends to be lower. The ones that were disenfranchised or pulled off the rolls, you know, within the months leading up to the election, um, you know, there's and it's very technical, right? So, so then uh, people kind of lose interest just because it's so technical. But it's just a it's a great way to to disenfranchise people. I mean, if and, and that is unfortunately what's been happening. Who's doing this? I I don't know, but the fact of the matter is that people are getting pulled off. They should not be pulled off of voter rolls, and um, you know that's that's something that needs to really be looked at. And we have we have proof of that. So you know maybe instead of concentrating on the voting machine issues. Um, as at the forefront, we should probably be looking at voter registration more closely because there's actually a um, you know kind of a chink in the the armor of you know uh, I guess you know you can't say that there's something happening with the voting machines really because we don't have any proof, but we definitely have proof that there's something happening with our voter registration rules, and that is admitted all across the country. So maybe we should start looking at that. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So you created, uh, you took, a, a, you made a map where you could see where the folks were being tossed off the rolls. That's really an eye-opening thing to look at. I, um, God, man, I just, <laughs> I'm very frustrated. Well, Crenshaw, that, you know Crenshaw? Crenshaw, yeah, absolutely. You know where Crenshaw is? Of course. Okay, you know that, that in LA? Yeah. So, um, if you go on the, if you go on the east side of Crenshaw, mm. um, it, it looks much different than the west side. Yeah. The west side looks. It, there's not as many people that are getting pulled off. It's gentrified you know? on the west but side. But on the east side, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the east side, you know. And I, I did that. Like you know, drove down that road just to see, right. you know, what the difference is. And there, there's literally, you know, this uh, socioeconomic line that's you know mm-hmm. completely different from one side to the other. And um, you know, so it just kind of. It's an alarm bell that goes off. Well, why is it that this is happening more often on this side of the right. street versus the other side of the street? And, yeah. um, you know, that's just a snapshot. Just a little snapshot. One election, you know, over a few weeks. So, you know, what we need to look at this a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I didn't realize that the voter registration was as big of a problem as that. But what, if what you're saying is true, that could be sort of the underlying cause of all these other things. Because if we are handing out provisional ballots and they're not being counted, we're not we're no longer a yeah. democracy. That is absolutely a fo- form of uh, voter suppression. And in 2016, they handed out, what, three million <laughs> ballots that were provisional ballots? That I mean, it was ridiculous. I just remember Probably reading more the, than that. Was yeah. it more? I just remember reading the article in the LA Times the next day, and I was like, this is unacceptable. What's going on here? And then, you know, hearing that my mom was given one, my niece was given one, and I was like, what? I, my mom is, you know, <laughs> she's been voting for 50 years. What the hell? <laughs> there was no well, reason. You get, so, so the thing is, you go through the motions, right? So you, yeah. you know, you go in there, you go to vote, and then they say, oh, okay, well, here, we'll give you this provisional ballot and we'll count your vote. And you think your vote's going to get counted. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're saying, oh, well, we're going to count your provisional vote, not your actual vote. Um, ah, yeah. So. Well, you know, Ruben, I went online <laughs> and I did this exercise with my mom because I, and most people don't know to do this. 
So, and her, her vote was not validated. Her signature was not validated. They wanted her to drive down there and sign a thing for comparison. And then my mom looked at me and she's like, how are they serious? Like she was stunned by this whole thing, you know? And I said, mom, I'll drive you down there. If, and she said, they already called the election for Hillary Clinton anyway. What difference does it make? That was sort of her response. But, but this is, I guess my, my response to that was mom is the integrity of the system. That's, that matters here. We can't. We can't give up the right. ghost. This is too important. Uh, you know, our democracy is really turning into a platonomy. And this is just one more prong on the fork, in my opinion. And it's an important one because we really don't have the power to change the system or to change the laws, change what politicians we have in office if this is what's going on. The one power we do have is our vote. That's it, you know? Well, you know, I think uh, I, th- I think what would be good is to, you know, if we can arrange a forum um, yeah. of people that were affected and then just kind of discuss the issues and then maybe um, also have them all get, you know, basically get together almost like a town hall. Yeah. And then show the map, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, of what happened. And then, you know, I mean, but how, how often do we does Hollywood have to do something like this yeah. <laughs> in order for the word to actually get out? Um, I don't know. Which you know, is I'm, unfortunate. It is but. unfortunate. We have too many. What I, I'm I'm going to use a Twitter phrase that I see thrown around that sort of is apt. Shit libs. <laughs> it's <laughs> sort of it's sort of become a thing. But I mean, I laugh, but it's like, yeah, I can't really argue that at this point because I don't feel solidarity for folks that identify as being on the left. But this is what they're doing. It's it's you know, it's crazy. I, you know, I, I would say one thing that's really, that, to me, that was really interesting looking at 2016. So, um, you know, in, in the primary, what, what we saw was that uh, there seemed to have been a disadvantage to, to a lot of the progressive candidates, including Bernie Sanders for president. But then also, um, you know, it did occur prior to, uh, you know, the election for Hillary. And so it wasn't just something that happens. It's not the, the voter registration issues aren't something that just happened to a progressive candidate. They also do happen to the Democratic candidate. Historically, we've seen this, um, you know, occur um, over, you know, I think since 2000, you know, about Bush versus Gore, um, where we have problems with voter re- registration rolls, you know, in two cycles. So usually like April and then another one, we'll see it start happening again in September. And you can always watch for that April, September, you know, something funky starts happening. Now that those uh, absentee ballot cases have gone against the vice president, his only real chance depends on what happens here at the U.S. Supreme Court. All that mattered 13 years ago today, the Supreme Court's landmark decision in Bush versus Gore. The ruling made George W. Bush the president-elect, ending five weeks of uncertainty following Election Day 2000. The high court overturned the Florida Supreme Court's order to continue recounting the ballots. The justices ruled by a five-to-four margin that the recount in Florida was unconstitutional. The following day, Vice President Al Gore conceded. And in January, George W. Bush was sworn in as the 43rd president of the United States. No, you know... That's Ruben. That's a really good point. This is something that we've seen um, happen time and time again. Although I do think it's got more in your face and blatant. And I just think the 2016 primary shined a light on what was already there in a sense. So um, 
we need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. You know, because I always believe that, you know, you grew up in the United States believing that this is a democracy and we're protecting something that's sacred. And then you have the wool pulled off off of your eyes and you're like, what the hell? (laughs) It's it's like, this isn't the country (laughs) that I believed I was raised in. You know, it's it's a different thing entirely. I want to ask. You know what, though? Like, it, it is it is it is the country though that it is that country i mean you know look when we just when we talk about politicians <laughs> politics and everything well you know i mean we can get so jaded but mm-hmm. you know america is really you know where people are at on a daily basis they're you know spending time at the park with their kids or their you know, having a barbecue in the backyard, mm-hmm. they're, you know, going to work on a daily basis, they're taking care of their kids, their families, you know, all that kinds of stuff. That's, that's America. You know, this political yeah. stuff is just, you know, it's something that's really terrible, but it's not us. It's not who represents who we actually are. That's true. It doesn't represent the people, but I, I'm really concerned at this point because um, I don't, I don't see the situation as tenable. I think we're at a really important junction. The income inequality in the country is very poor. I think it gets worse than Trump. Yeah. And um, I just don't see the will to change what needs to be changed. And I'm a little bit concerned because it seems to be going in the wrong direction, so to speak. Brian Kemp. Can we talk yeah, about I, Brian Kemp I for a second? I struggle too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's because you're woke. <laughs> I've, so Brian Kemp, yeah. I want to talk about him for a second because this is another example of just stunning conflict of interest and voter suppression. You know, he did not give up his role to be in charge of, of the elections in Georgia while he was running against Stacey Abrams. So any any beefs that happened in that election went back to his office. How how is this right. feasible? How how could this happen? Current governor and fellow Republican Nathan Deal called Kemp our governor-elect during a press conference today, but his opponent, Stacey Abrams, is not accepting defeat. Today, her legal team said they were going to line out a plan to make sure every vote is counted. Several counties are still going through provisional ballots. We have team coverage with a reaction from both sides. Joe Hankey was there at the governor's press conference, and also Faith Abube is with us. We'll go to Faith here in a moment. But Abrams supporters, Joe, have been calling for months for Kemp to resign. Why is he choosing to do so today? We chose to do it today during that press conference. Brian Kemp said he earned a convincing victory. And while vote totals have not been certified, Kemp resigned effective as this morning as Secretary of State so he can begin putting his gubernatorial staff and transition plan together. Protesters at the Capitol, though, said Kemp's resignation comes too late and it is also still too early to call him governor-elect. In one of his final duties as the governor of Georgia, Nathan Deal walked into his office with Brian Kemp by his side. It is my honor at this time to introduce to you uh, the soon-to-be new governor of the state of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Kemp addressed election results and also resigned as Secretary of State, a position from where he oversaw the state's election division. It was a tough election, uh, but we've won and now I've got to move on. But the process is, is true and has been for many, many years in Georgia. And uh, that's another reason that uh, you know, we're going to have a new Secretary of State that certifies the election to make that clear. Deal appointed and swore in Georgia Department of Human Services Commissioner Robin Crittenden as interim Secretary of State this afternoon. She will now oversee certifying the election. Protesters holding signs reading count every vote filled the hallway outside the governor's office. They said Kemp's resignation should have come months ago. It's frivolous. It's all for show. It's all for not. 
It's ceremonial at best and irresponsible at worst. When you said, I'm going to run for governor, that is the point in which you should have stepped down. There, were, uh, there was somebody already to be an interim. Before and during the election, voters and advocacy groups claimed Kemp running for governor while being the secretary of state was a recipe for a biased election. Kemp's campaign disagreed time after time. On Wednesday, the secretary of state's office confirmed counties are still reviewing thousands of provisional ballots. And protesters said they do not see Kemp as the governor-elect as every vote has not been counted. The only thing outstanding is uh, about a little over 20,000 provisional ballots. When we made our decision to move forward, we actually thought it was going to be closer to 22,000, so the number is actually lower on the number of provisional ballots. Even if she got 100% of those votes, we still win with a, um, a 50% plus one vote majority. Kemp today named top members of his gubernatorial transition team and says as of this afternoon, he is focusing solely on becoming the next governor. Well, you know, um, I would say I've studied uh, Kemp and, you know, his methodology and everything that he's, you know, been doing for several years now. I, I believe that, um, you know, they have they they have systems in place right now with their voting that are uh, extremely corruptible, not auditable, mm -hmm. um, you know, highly pr problematic. Um, we also had um, multiple lawsuits uh, against his office, not we, but, you know, uh, agencies, organizations, individuals. Um, and still, you know, all of this stuff persists. Um, I would, what I find really interesting, though, is that some of these lawsuits were actually commenced in state court. And I think that when you're suing, uh, you know, when you're suing, you know, Brian Kemp, you need to sue him in federal court. Um, just, just my opinion, um, because some of the things that they do, you know, if like if he's in charge, you know, and there's uh, a complaint that goes back to his office, you know, he he could just say, oh, everything's okay, and um, you know, so. <laughs> So again, I think there needs to, there needs to be some federal oversight in this particular um, area of the um, of the voting systems. I know that you know nobody wants the federal the federal government uh, in that area to be jumping in, but I think it's just so egregious that you know it probably needs to happen. Send in the National Guard, right? <laughs> I don't disagree with that. <laughs> I so in L.A. County, well, we still... Well, it's happened before. It's happened before, that's right. I mean, a lot of this stuff is racially motivated. There's always two ways about it. Anyone that doesn't think that's the case is in denial. I mean, the robocalls that came into both Georgia and Florida from that neo-Nazi group in Idaho were unbelievable. This is the magical Negro, Oprah Winfrey, asking you to make my fellow Negress, Stacey Abrams, the governor of Georgia. Years ago, the Jews who owned the American media saw something in me, the ability to trick dumb white women into thinking I was like them, and to do, read, and think what I told them to. I see that same potential in Stacey Abrams. Where others see a poor man's Aunt Jemima, I see someone white women can be tricked into voting for, especially the fat ones. I like, wow, I don't know if you heard those. Well, um, you know, we're still, we're, we're still fighting, you know, um, remnants of the Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow, and all that in, mm -hmm. in the South. Unfortunately, that is still occurring. I mean, you know, whether or not, you know, we want to... Uh, let it out, let the cat out of the bag. The fact is, it's, you know, it is, it's occurring. We could do better. 
yeah. down there. I, I you know, I, I have seen, uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, just, you know, amazed at the groundswell of support, you know, for progressive candidates out there. And, yeah. and it is nice to see some change, but that's going to, that's going to be, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a while. Yeah. We've made some progress though. I think our revolution had a lot of candidates, um, when their elections last night. Now, granted, a lot of these yeah. are local races, but I, I think local races are really important and that's where we start to really affect change. I mean, when you think about it, it's the state, the state Congress that, uh, does the gerrymandering for the house of representatives. So there's definitely a reason that we should be concerned about local elections and winning those is really important. Um, so we ha- I want to ask you about the Inca vote system because this is like an old school thing. I'm I'm older, <laughs> and, yeah. And so LA, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. We still use that here in LA. So when I go to my polling station, I have my little little ink blotter thing. I put my ballot in and I stamp it, and they run the paper ballot. So this is super old school, which I like. I like that that's what's going on. But I know that that's not the standard in the rest of the state. So how did we get to a place where different counties are using different systems? Well, you know, it's, it's basically just been decentralized, you know, since, uh, gosh, since the beginning. Um, so you've got, I mean, I've gone out there and talked to a lot of the, um, the County registrars throughout our state. And yeah, I mean, for example, Riverside has, um, you know, old outdated technology that they have to buy on uh, eBay when things, they have to buy parts on eBay when <laughs> they don't have what me? they need. Oh, my God. No, I'm serious. Um, they, you know, they told me that. Um, and I would say, you know, some other places are very modern. And, um, you know, San Diego County, um, for example, is, is fairly modern. Um but again, you know, it doesn't matter. I guess the, I guess the thing is, is, you know, it doesn't matter what you use as long as um, you have a way to back everything up and create a trail if something goes wrong. You know, and there's certain things that you can do to make it more likely that, you know, you could do an audit, like a full audit, you know, something does go wrong. Um, and we're just simply not doing a lot of those things. So I just think put more steps in the put put a, put a bunch of more uh, security safeguards in there. I mean, our computer systems are very vulnerable and hackable. I mean, they constantly have to be updated all the time. I mean, they're you know there are constantly um, attacks that are levied against our you know online systems, and and so you still have to transfer information from online you know, to an offline system. And if you have a virus on whatever it is that you're transferring to, you can get it onto the offline system. So that's why you need, you know, backups like paper. And well, I think actually paper should probably be the primary um, process of voting. And then this elect the electronic should probably be backup. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, videotape it, you know, um, have, have other people in there, you know, watching it on a regular basis. Um, make sure you have, you know, uh, pay your tech people better. For God's sake, pay the pay the people better. I mean, we lose them to Silicon Valley. Um, why don't we have some of these people, you know, uh, that that we're having running IT infrastructure, you know, in these these counties? Why don't we pay them more money so that they can actually, you know, 
do a better job for us. They're not, you know, they'll be loyal to us. That's, that's a decent suggestion. Uh, so there was also a system that I read about that would uh, actually scan or make photographs of each individual ballot after it was cast. But I think the argument for using this was that it would cost too much financial. Do you know about this? Have you yeah, read so those in San like Diego that. or something? I can't recall. I don't necessarily think it's a, I don't think it's a bad idea, but, but again, I think, you know, it, you can't destroy the ballot, even though you take a picture of it too, yeah. because oh, you don't they know want to destroy it after there. Is uh, it a digital photo. I see. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's fine to take a, it's fine to take a picture of it, but yeah. let's also have a copy of the, the ballot. As Absolutely. Well. I want to actually have a copy of the ballot. So I can go back to that ballot and, you know, yeah. figure out what was wrong with it. If something happened. No, I was going to say, even last night, we have, you know, not here in California, but in a lot of the country, you have these really close races that are probably going to have to experience some sort of a recount, I would imagine. And what would happen if you didn't have that to go back on? You're looking at the photographs, the what? Yeah, I see that that's, or the hanging chads. Remember the hanging chads in 2000? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the problem, right? So, yeah. you know, trying to decipher what voter intent is. And if you just if you just went back to a photograph of a I mean, think about it. The computer is creating a uh, photograph of a ballot. Mm-hmm. So then it's not really a photograph. It's a computer generated program that's printing right. out okay. a copy of a ballot. Right. OK. That's Potentially, not quite the same. It's like, yeah, and, and that could that could be problematic. So why don't we just keep the one that the actual person filled out, and then you know we can have a picture too. That's fine because then if something happens that you know where the ballot doesn't match what the picture is, I mean, just think about this: how you would, you know, what would you do to keep your house safe from somebody breaking into it? Yeah, you know, it's just, it's the same it's the same situation. Well, you know, you you have lights on, you know, bright lights. You've got, you know, a security system. You have a dog, you know. Um, think, why don't we think about um, voting security in that manner rather than, you know, getting fixated on, you know, I like an individual system better than another one, you know. And then I, I, I noticed, like, I, for example, I noticed the Twitter, the Twitter wars on voting. I don't know if you've been, on, been, been in there and kind of, like, you know, everybody has a a particular system that they want, you know, and, and it has to be, it either has to be hand marked paper ballots or it has to be, you know, scan, it can't be scanned. Uh, you know, it has to be optical or it, just anything you want to throw out there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the technology that we use. The only thing that matters really is the process that that's the primary thing is the process. Right. So I also wanted to talk about briefly the uh, citizenship question that the Trump administration is considering putting on the 2020 census, because obviously this could uh, negatively impact voter rights. And I don't think a lot of Americans realize that there's a really close relationship between the census and how uh, our voter integrity is connected. Um, Do you have thoughts on this? Well, you know, so I guess maybe if you could explain for anybody that's listening. So if you, if you, on the census, um, we are, Trump wants to include a question about whether somebody is a citizen of the United States. 
And so the argument is basically that if somebody gets a hold of that and they're not quite sure whether or not they're, they're a citizen that, or if they have people in their house that might not be citizens that are living with them, that, you know, they, they would be reluctant to fill that out. Or on the well, flip side, they could basically just be so afraid to fill it out, even if they are a citizen and they might be an immigrant, and they so they just totally discard the census altogether and it doesn't get completed. And I was really disturbed that um, they were using a defense that they were protecting voter rights, that this was protection of the VRA. That was like what they actually legitimately said. They were putting this question on the ballot, which is clearly driven at um, suppressing immigration votes <laughs> because they were protecting so the VRA. So I think you're right about that. I think it's, it's really terrible. Um, it's a terrible idea. I also think it's unconstitutional. And the reason why I think it's unconstitutional is because it, and this is an interesting one. The federal government has the responsibility of dealing with immigration and, you know, whether or not somebody's, you know, uh, should be in the country or not. That's their responsibility. And that's not something that, you know, falls to the state. And so um, basically what's happening here would be, uh, in effect, California would get penalized if, um, you know, we were to find a certain amount of people that, you know, were, uh, you know, undocumented here. And, you know, they didn't fill out the didn't fill out the form. So just financially, not even getting into the, you know, the uh, emotional issue of it, I think that it's unconstitutional anyway. So I think it's just kind of like a ploy to try to, you know, rile, rile up his base and get, you know, people excited about, you know, oh, he's he's really clamping down on these, you know, people and trying to get them get them out of the country, you know, um, which is. I mean, really terrible because they're human beings. Um, you know, you know, what's funny is when I was a paramedic um, in the field, I um, encountered a lot of people that sacrificed, uh, you know, so much to try to, to make it here. And they're, you know, they, unfortunately, uh, you know, they'd maybe pay somebody, we'd encounter them. Like if they pay somebody to, uh, you know, get transported across and, and, um, you know, the cops might find them or board patrol might find them. And, and then, you know, they're chasing them on the highway and then they overturn in a vehicle and then we get called out. And I mean, just seeing the things that the, that, you know, people will do to come over here, um, walking through the desert, of, you know, 100, 120 degrees, you know, for, you know, a couple of weeks at a time. I mean, it's just, there's something to be said about the desire to be in this great country. Um, if you were willing to do something like that, to be here, you know, um, what is going on where we're just taking those people and just throwing them back into, you know, another country, um, you know, that they came from. So what can we do? to, I guess, uh, deal with that particular situation better. Because um, from a human standpoint, I think, you know, we have a, a moral responsibility, you know, to do something more. I absolutely and I agree. think it's really cold-hearted. It is cold-hearted. You know, you know and of the I Trump also, administration. It is cold-hearted. And I also worry that, uh, you know, I was worried about this stuff many years ago, starting under, you know, George Bush. Well, I mean, you can go back a little further, but that's really when we started really seeing what the Patriot Act 
you know, some of these things disappearing. And my worry was always like, well, where do we go from here? It's the slippery slope. And I was really disappointed when Obama didn't pull back a lot of what um, the Patriot Act gave the executive branch, a lot of those powers. I wanted them to go away only because I knew at some point there would be a president that would be given yep. these powers <laughs> that, to do monstrous things. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. And uh, God, it's just frustrating because I feel... I feel all of these little things add up to a very big thing. And uh, folks may think that the citizenship question isn't a big deal, but it is because so much of our federal programs, uh, our districting of our House, representatives, all of these things are attached to population. And having an accurate count is an imperative. And if folks don't get counted in the census out of fear, it's really going to affect uh, the... It still costs. It, it still costs California money anyways. True it that. still costs California money to have extra people here. Whether or not they're citizens, the fact is that it costs us money. And and quite frankly, if, if the federal government or if Trump wanted to, you know, police the border more and, you know, make it more restrictive or whatever, that's his responsibility to do that. That's mm-hmm. the federal government's responsibility, not ours. So why are we being penalized? Because, quote, they're doing a bad job. Um, <laughs> you know, I right. think that, I mean, not a great soundbite, but I think just from that standpoint, I don't think anybody's been looking at that um, in that manner. And I think that, I think the idea is that it's just really, him trying to rally up his base, oh, you know, more than anything else. He's a political opportunist mm-hmm. than any, anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. I think his um, threatening to overturn the 14th Amendment with an executive order is the same sort of power play. He can't possibly imagine that that's going to stand any sort of constitutional challenge, but it did rile up his base. You know? Right, right. And, and, and uh, you know, fortunately, we still have the Fifth Amendment and, you know, <laughs> all the other amendments. Um, Thank God for so, that. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot of things that we can still still do. I mean, you know, the equal protection isn't just a 14th Amendment right either. Right. So, you know, but right. I'm sure that he doesn't even realize that. So, yeah, he probably does. I don't know. You know, from day to day, I look at the stuff Trump does, and I always knew he was going to be a scary individual, but I have to be honest, he's far more scary than I imagined. I just, you know, every time I think I've seen the worst of something, it's like, whoa, he what? (laughs) We're now overturning constitutional amendments, what? (laughs) I laugh because it's just Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to happen with what happened in Congress lately. Right? It's just, wow. We keep so good luck with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's crazy time here in the United States. So what, um, so other, other things that you haven't mentioned as far as election integrity that we should be looking at, what would those things be? Well, like I said, the first one is, the first one's going to be voter registration. And, you know, that's, that's my big push going forward. Um, I would say, you know, creating some sort of a trail, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, audit trail as much as possible. Um, and then I think, you know, voter education is really important too. I think we need more emphasis on it. We need it to be more entertaining. We need, you know, um, it, again, it's just the day and age in which we live in. We should make it more convenient. Yeah. Um, you know, but we also have to police, you know, 
a lot better because we do have rogue counties and we do have, you know, um, unfortunately we do have certain areas of the state that, you know, are not complying. Mm -hmm. I think that we need a, a sec, I think our, our secretary of state, you know, end up up the ball game and, and basically hold a lot of these counties accountable rather than just letting them do everything that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, actually going in there, not to give a compliment or anything, but I, <laughs> I would say, you know, I do like it, um, you know, when their office will go into, like, say they went into LA and said, hey, you know, you need to, um, you need to do something about this. I want to, I want to report on it. But I also right. think, you know, it doesn't necessarily go far enough. I think we need, um, I think, I think we need action too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are we going to refer that over to the attorney general's office, you know, for some type of investigation or prosecution? Because, you know, these are, these are things that, that we need to be, um, you know, like the signature issue, for example, why yeah. is it that some of some counties are throwing out mail-in ballots? Right, right. You know, you can go and just use the data and just, you know, look at the four or five counties that are doing it more often and, and let's have a meeting about it. And then, you know, if you're not going to be compliant about it, then, you know, we're going to, we're going to file charges mm-hmm. and we have that right as a state, you That's know, right. why don't we do, why don't we exercise that right? Good question. Good question. So Ruben, what is next for you? Are you going to run for office again? Are you considering that? Because like you said earlier in the podcast, name recognition is really important. And I think that's something that you have now. So maybe, you know, maybe it's a good time to run again. I'm going to prod you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think right now, oh, you know what? I was going to tell you one more thing too that is extremely important. And that would be us having a statewide initiative to get this dark and dirty money out of politics um, by providing public financing of our campaign. Amen. Um, I think that could change the ballgame. And I think we could work on that. How do we get – see, here's the thing I'm frustrated with, with our positional, our direct democracy propositional system. It seems like every corporation or every moneyed interest in the land that wants to put a proposition on our ballot is successfully doing so. But the stuff that we really need done – if we get like a prop yeah. 10 on the ballot, then the the money comes pouring in to defeat the prop 10 measure that was actually a genuine proposition that the state needed to consider and it gets defeated. It's, it's become a very frustrating thing. Um, I don't know how we fix this, but I think that the way to get to, to start is to just get the money out. It's absolutely out of control. The money, the wall street money that came against prop 10 and actually charter amendment B here in LA was just insane. You know, and uh, just in city right. of LA alone, we pay what three hundred million in fees and in interest uh, a year to Wall Street banks. This is a well, sizable chunk of money. I know, and and I, you know, I saw I saw a lot of these propositions come in, and I'm, I was just thinking, well, that's weird. That's just a couple companies right there that are supporting it. You know what? <laughs> this, these couple companies came in and basically, you know, did what they wanted. They got what they wanted, and you know, they left, but. Um, I think, you know, I think that actually, uh, let's let put ourselves in the shoes of the, the voter, right? So, so most voters are, by the time that they get to the proposition um, section, you know, they, they've already picked all the candidates that they want to vote for. So they've, you know, basically, and, and some they probably don't even know, right? They've probably just penciled in, you know, yes to confirm 
you know, all the judges or no, because, you know, maybe they were mad, you know, because something happened to their brother or sister or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just, I'm being realistic here. So, and then I think they get, to the second, <laughs> they get to the second sheet and they start looking at these propositions and then, you know, everything kind of goes fuzzy. Um, I think, I think what you need to do if you want something like that to be successful is you have to have an extremely, extremely simple um, statement that's put place directly on the ballot. So if you're doing public financing of campaigns, you know, it, it needs to be something that, is, that says, you know, public financing of campaigns. You know, it can't be confusing or anything like that, you know. So um, I think I think that's marketing, though. That's a marketing skill that, you know, you get so engrossed in, you know, all the different languages of the bills and everything else. And, and then that's where they're able to muddy the waters. Uh, like you said, rent control is an interesting one. If that had been a little bit more simple, it probably would have helped. But I also think I know a lot of people went against that too. No, it's true. You know, Wall Street money came in and they made all these ads that um, they made it about single single family dwellings, which wasn't what this was about. <laughs> they make, they would say it would make right. affordable housing worse. I mean, they ran some Bernay manufactured consent level propaganda that really was effective. I mean, that Prop 10 didn't, it wasn't even in a, in a marginal 50-50 thing. It got completely and squarely defeated last night. I, I was actually pretty surprised. Um, I wanted to mention something because you brought up the judge thing. I was laughing at that because it's true. People just go down and like, I don't, because who knows how to vote on judges? It's really hard to do this, right? So right. there's this great website, yeah. California needs to know about this website. There's this great website called judgevoterguide.com. Now I want you to go to that site. I don't want you to vote for the people that this guy is recommending. I want you to do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is crazy right wing nut job guy that like look. he's anti gay people, anti immigration, hates women. Like you go down the list. He's super extreme. He sends out this questionnaire and then he comes up with this list of recommendations. So you could absolutely literally go down his list of judges and vote for all the ones that he says no to and be like, I'm good. <laughs> is that how you voted? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, I shouldn't ask that. <laughs> I totally did. I'm owning it. I mean, I have some attorney friends that um, had originally recommended this to me because they're like, go to Craig Huey's site. I'm like, who the hell's Craig Huey? You know? <laughs> and sure enough, you go to the site, How you're like, damn, right? It makes it so simple. <laughs> anyway. That's kind of like, yeah, I could I could think of so many parallels. I love it. Right? It works. It works well because it is a complicated thing to ask voters to vote on. How do you understand or know about what these judges are doing? It's really an impossible feat. And, uh, you know, I, if I don't know, I just leave it blank myself. But this this voter guide's been pretty handy, I have to say. <laughs> I love um, it. Yeah. So uh, any – I did – wait, you didn't tell me if you're going to run for office again. We got to know, Ruben. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I, I think for me right now, I'm just, we're trying to pick up the pieces. Um, okay. You know, the campaign was very expensive. It was very there. taxing. Um, I hear you. And, you know, I, I needed to spend time taking care of my family and, mm -hmm. you know, um, our, our business and Fair everything else. And I think, you know, yeah, once that's all done, um, I will definitely um, be out there 
a little more, a lot more. We need you. Probably, uh, definitely advocating. No, we definitely need you. You're, you're yeah. very informed and well-spoken on um, this particular subject. And I really, honestly, that, that speech you gave at Caldem was so like, oh, who's this guy? We need this guy. Why is he near our secretary? I appreciate that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I was very excited to vote for you. Um, so, uh, well, thank you.